Look around, what do you see? Cars, lots of them. And guess what? They're probably on Auto Trader. Whether you're into timeless classics or the latest trends, did somebody say solar-powered, eco-friendly, vegan, leather-wrapped, aromatherapy-scented, disco ball-equipped, self-driving car? If you see it on the road, you can likely find it on Auto Trader. Big cars, small cars, blue cars, new cars, used cars, electric cars, and one day, maybe even flying cars. With millions of options to choose from, buying a car becomes a whole lot easier. See it. Find it. Auto Trader. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh, and there's Chuck, and Jerry's hanging out, and this is Stuff You Should Know, our continuing architecture slash design suite. Which we love. Surprising, yeah, surprisingly interesting stuff, huh? Yeah, and this one... Um, I mean, listen however you listen, but if you have a choice, I really mm-hmm. would urge you to listen to this when you can look at pictures of things. Uh, this one, above many, many episodes, requires <laughs> you to look at this stuff as right. you're listening, ideally. Yeah. And so if you can do that, do that. Yeah, because we're going to be mentioning specific buildings that you could go check out and be like, oh, this is what they're talking about. We're going to do our best, but we're going to be describing structures, and it's just way easier to look at the structure, you know? It's got a swoopy, pointy thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and that's basically it. Livia was kind enough uh, to insert hyperlinks into what she sent us, Mm -hmm. and that made it super easy. I didn't even have to Google the Googie. (laughs) <laughs> and that is what we're talking about. It's not a typo, everybody. It's googie. It's a kind of architecture, G-O-O-G-I-E. Um, and it is basically the architecture that you think of when you think of the 1950s, mid-50s to the very early 60s in America. Well, the 50s when they were thinking of the 90s. Exactly. That's a really or good way to Or what that might it. look like. Yeah. And they were way, way off. But I mean, how great would the 90s have been if it looked like what they thought it was going to look like in the <laughs> 50s? I think it would have been pretty cool. Because I am personally yeah. a really big fan of Googie architecture. It's nothing I like, it. I don't go tour the buildings or anything like that. In fact, there's one in Georgia. And I looked up where that town is. And I'm like, no, it's not worth the drive. But uh, I do like looking at pictures of them. I might. That bank is three and a half hours from my house, mm-hmm. and I want to open up an account there <laughs> just so I can drive down to that amazing building in the middle of nowhere, southeast Georgia. It is really the middle. It's not near anything, nothing, nowhere around it, but it does have a really fine example of Googie architecture, which we'll get to, which we should probably define beyond it's the architecture that you think of when you think of the 50s or 60s. Right. Uh, And before we define it, I just want to say that my love affair with Googie started out when I was a kid. Oh, yeah. Uh, When I first, honestly, when I first went to Tomorrowland at Disney World. Oh, yeah. And then when I started watching the Jetsons. Mm -hmm. 
And being in Georgia, I didn't see any examples of Googie really <laughs> uh, growing up, um, but took my first trip to L.A. in 1988, mm-hmm. saw a bunch of Googie. I was like, I love this stuff. And then in the 1994, I uh, took my first trip to New York where I met my friend Bob. And this is was not exterior architecture, but this was that early to mid-90s um, sort of design, like kind of space age bachelor pad design movement. That's called Populux, I saw. Yeah, and that's sort of akin to Googie. And Bob had his stuff like that, and I thought it was so cool. Mm-hmm. And he told me about Googie, and that's the first time I had heard that word was in 1994. That's hilarious. I heard the word the first time like this month, I think. Well, oh, really? Mm-hmm. I'd well, I mean, you don't before. you don't hear it a lot, but I think people that know it like to tell other people and name it. Right. And Bob was one of those people because I remember when Google came along when I was living in L.A. and I was like, like the architecture? <laughs> and everyone went, huh? <laughs> so anyway, that's just a long personal preamble. Uh, should we define it? I like it. Yeah, let's define it, Chuck. Have at it. Uh, all right. So this was uh, this came about post-World War II. Mm-hmm. And I love how Livia put this. It was influenced by uh, the techno-optimism of that era. Yeah. uh, Which was a thing. It was like, hey, this is – it was like Tomorrowland. This is what the future is going to be like. And, you know, there's going to have, like, cool shapes and things are going to look like rocket ships. And cars can have these big fins and look like spaceships. Mm -hmm. And we love neon lights and we love these gentle pastels. And it was kind of a, a populist movement. Yeah. In that it wasn't like just meant for the rich. No, it wasn't meant for the rich. And as a matter of fact, one of the other big uh, definitions of it is that it was a commercial movement. So, like, you didn't really see anybody's house constructed in Googie, but you would see like a dry cleaner or a bowling alley or a coffee shop. That was a big one. Yeah, or a for diner. Sure. Um, so, these were places that like any. American could go to and did. So it was it was really fun, eye-popping, bright-colored space-age design and architecture for the everyday person. And that's definitely one of the things that made it so lovable, but it's also conversely one of the things that made like architecture critics and like, you know, le- legitimate, I'm making square scare quotes, um, architects hate it because it was populist in nature. Yeah, for sure. Um, it emerged and and largely stayed in California. It did, you know, we'll talk about where it did branch out mm-hmm. here and there across the U.S. But it's really a California thing and really a Southern California thing. And California at the time really um, did sort of represent the future in a lot of ways post-World War II. It was, you know, it was the far west and it was, uh, I think, a city where people moved to from the east that saw possibilities in California, uh, the land of sunshine, uh, the land of the future. And uh, the, the whole idea of this commercial part of it was let's design, let's say, a gas station that will really stand out if you're – it was a car culture, you know, after World War II. And let's design something that can really be noticed when you're speeding down the highway. Yeah, that was a really big driving force for Googie. Like if you, um, if you look at a Googie building – you see it like a mile away or many miles away because of the bright colors, because of the weird angles. It really mm-hmm. is designed to stand out from its surroundings. A lot of architecture is designed to um, complement, blend, 
kind of be seamless with its surroundings, whether that's nature or existing buildings. Googie did not take that into account at all and actually went the opposite way. And one of the big reasons was because in California, as a car culture, to get people's attention as they're speeding past, you kind of have to use those design elements. And that that was basically why Googie came along. That's right. I mentioned the Jetsons, and that wasn't just in jest. Uh, that was a a real thing. It was inspired by things like the Jetsons. If you look at the original Hanna Barbera Studio building in, in on Coanga in West Hollywood, it was a Googie building. Uh, it was sort of Googie meets Art Deco, which Googie has a little bit of its roots in Art Deco in mm-hmm. some ways. And also, you know, I guess we should talk about some other uh, kinds of architecture that it sort of sprang from uh, Art Deco was one. And then one that is also super cool is called Streamline Modern. Mm-hmm. And that is, if you look up any Streamline Modern building, you might think you're looking at an, uh, an ocean liner or something. There are no squared corners on these buildings. Like everything, which is also very Art Deco, has these beautiful rounded edges. Yeah, which is really neat. There's also usually structures that um, kind of suggest like a ocean liners smokestacks or something. Um, sometimes they even put portholes in the buildings. Like there was a Coca-Cola bottling plant that was streamlined modern um, in the 30s, I think, maybe 40s in LA. And it has straight up portholes on it. Like it's meant to look like a ship. And so this idea that you could make something look like something else, but also look very elegant, definitely kind of formed part of the foundation for Gookie architecture. It's very cool. Uh, another thing that influenced it was, is called uh, programmatic or mimetic architecture. Uh, this is basically like it, it, how you would see it today is if, if you like see the Hard Rock Hotel in Florida, that it looks like a giant guitar. Um, it is something that is very intentionally sort of like a gimmick designed to look like something else and not just like, oh, that evokes an airplane. It's no, it looks like an airplane or right. a, a giant hot dog or something. Yeah, very frequently, especially with mimetic. Um, it was it, like it was the uh, the structure was the thing that it was selling. So like you yeah. might have an orange juice stand and like the building was a giant orange um, yeah, or the it's brown tacky, but it's fun. Oh, it's awesome! I, I saw pictures of an abandoned one in Florida somewhere. I don't know where it is, but it would be cool to go see. Um, and then, like the Brown Derby, the very famous Brown Derby oh, restaurant yeah. in L.A. It's a Brown Derby, a brown it is hat. A brown derby. Or like those donut shops that are like a giant donut. Yeah, um, that is all mimetic architecture. And one of the reasons that that gave rise to Googie is because that's what's called a vulgar vernacular. It's the kind of thing that you don't even need an architect to do like the owner of the donut shop could could say hey (laughs) construction guys i want this to be a donut build it Uh for me out of whatever you want to build it out of and you didn't need an architect at all and that was a a a big thing that kind of it was also populist in that respect as well yeah and googie that was a way scale back version of that though you know definitely yeah i mean it would evoke like a rocket ship but if it was a straight up rocket ship then that i think it became mimetic right yeah that definitely transgressed and crossed that line for sure uh, one of the first Googie buildings is from 1949, which would have put it really on the leading edge of that whole movement. Um, and it's still there. It's it's a great place. Like L.A. is a really great place to drive around and see some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. It, it made me miss living there a lot because I would oh, I go bet. to some of these places and see some of these places on a daily basis. But Bob's a big boy. 
in Burbank in 1949, designed by uh, Wayne McAllister, who will pop up a, a couple of times in this episode. Uh, and he built the El Rancho in Las Vegas and Bob's Big Boy in Burbank, which is it's it's really known for its 35 foot high uh, sign of depicting Bob himself. Right. Uh, is that which, who it's supposed to be in the red and white checkered overalls? Yeah, there's some connection to Shoney's, and I, I never really looked it up, but it's like Shoney's Big Boy. That may have just been the franchise name or something. I think so, because in Ohio, it was Frisch's Big Boy, and they all used the oh, same the same Big, big boy. boy. Yeah. <laughs> and it was you. <laughs> <laughs> it was me. That's who I aspired to be as a child. Get out your overalls. <laughs> Uh, so Bob's Big Boy is a landmark, literally, uh, in 1992, the California Office of Historic Preservation declared it an official historic landmark uh, because they wanted to, of course, uh, tear it down, which sadly happened to so many great Googie and other buildings. Yeah, but not Bob's Big Boy in Burbank, which is a lot of bees. And the bees. reason the reason why it's considered the first Googie building is, one, it was from 1949, but it follows so much of the Googie um, aesthetic. Like you said, a 35-foot sign as attention-grabbing as possible with flashing lights, neon lights, um, with uh, giant letters. Uh, usually the building is one story. I believe with Bob's Big Boy, the roof kind of swoops in different different directions or um, they, they, it'll go up and then down like in a zigzag. It just The roofs do weird things yeah. in a, in a googie uh, structure. And there's a bunch of other things too, like sweeping arches or parabolas. Uh, like the original McDonald's had two parabolas on either side. That Ugh. was the original Golden Arches, Beautiful I think, in, in Downey, California. Yeah, that was very Googie-inspired, uh, although I think it was even earlier than than some of these other buildings. I think, uh, yeah, we'll get to that one. I think it was the okay. 50s, right? All right, sure, yeah. Like I said, roofs can be cantilevered, upswept. Uh, they can look like curved themselves. They're mm -hmm. usually uh, outlined in lights, flashing lights, neon lights. Sometimes it looks kind of spacey, like you said. Not exactly a rocket ship, but suggested of it. Um, geometric shapes, shapes that, that suggest motion, like boomerang shapes and starbursts. Yeah. That's huge, too. Um, the fonts that they use are really exaggerated and big and uh, attention-grabbing. And, um, again, the signage, really, really high, really, really gaudy, like sometimes many, many times taller than the building structure itself. Yeah, so many of the roof, googie roof lines really do seem to defy gravity, and that was kind of one of the points, I think, mm -hmm. was to to make people wonder how they built it. And there are buildings in L.A., uh, we're going to talk about that gas station in Beverly Hills, that um, f for back then, you know, now they have such – lighter and stronger materials. But, you know, you're talking about building these things, a lot of concrete in the 1950s uh, and some of these roofs that just swoop up and extend to this tiny point, you know, 50 feet above the ground. Mm -hmm. And you're just wondering how in the world did they accomplish this back then? Yeah, and that was Pretty the cool point. Stuff. They just say, it's googie. <laughs> That's right. Uh, should we take a break? Yeah, let's take a break. All right, we'll be right back with more googie. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. 
This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I never thought I'd take my three young kids to Sicily to solve a century-old mystery. But that's what I'm doing in my new podcast, The Sicilian Inheritance. Join us as we travel thousands of miles on the beautiful and crazy island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a mystery for the ages and untangle clues within my family's origin story, which has morphed like a game of telephone through the generations. Was our family matriarch killed in a land deal gone wrong? Or was it by the Sicilian Mafia? A lover's quarrel? Or was she, as my father believed, a witch? Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. So what's Googie anyway? Where'd they get that name? Oh, actually, it's named after a specific um, cafe that was built the same year as Bob's Big Boy. It's also sometimes considered the first Googie uh, structure. And the reason why is because the cafe was named Googie's. 
the owner, Mortimer Burton, uh, named it after his wife, whose um, family nickname was Googie. Um, and it, it, it wasn't like he said, hey, create a whole new architecture, John Lautner, and we're going to name it after my wife. He had no say in that. It was just that this Googie's um, coffee shop was a really good early example of this new kind of architecture that was starting to spread in, in Southern California. Yeah. And John Lautner is one of my favorite architects of all time. Yeah, he's neat. Uh, he was a, a protege of Frank Lloyd Wright. Uh, he did most of his work in the Southland there in Southern California. Uh, and because the, you know, the weather is so great there and the sun is always shining and all the things that people hate about LA that don't live in LA, <laughs> um, you can really do big uh, inside out floor plans where the outside is brought in and you've got, you can have huge pieces of glass and expose wood and it just, everything weathers so much better out there. So you're really freed up as an architect to do things when you don't have to worry about torrential downpours of rain for many, many days of the year and things like that. Right. Uh, and he has built um, some, some of the great houses in LA, some of the great modern homes. Um, one, which I actually is one of my least favorite of his, but maybe the most well-known is the chemosphere house. It's a little too much for me, but <laughs> yeah? I get, How but so? I get it. <laughs> It looks like a spaceship. It's um, pretty favorite. It's like it's almost like if um the the eyepiece that LeVar Burton wore in Star Trek the Next Generation was <laughs> turned into a house and then thrust into the side of a hill on yeah, a cliff. Yeah. That a would be the chemosphere house. <laughs> um my favorite is uh was made very famous. It's a famous house on its own if you're into architecture, but uh was made famous in the Big Lebowski, uh, which is the Sheets Goldstein house. Uh, which was Jackie Treehorn's house. Oh, I, so when I started looking at, um, I think I just said chemosphere, and that's way different. The chemosphere house pictures, I was I was wondering <laughs> if it was that house. And I was like, I don't quite think it is, but it's not surprising to me that that was from the same architect. Yeah, it's a Lautner house. So just if, if you have time and you're into architecture, just go uh, check out a bunch of Lautner homes. They're amazing. So he is a really great architect. And like you said, he was a protege of Frank Lloyd Wright. That in and of itself automatically made him a serious architect in the architecture world. But he was kind of into Googie as well. He designed that first Googie's Cafe uh, or Googie's Coffee Shop in the Googie style. And so it was a, a criticism of that work of Lautner, Googie's Coffee Shop, that a guy named Douglas Haskell, who was an architecture critic, wrote Ooh. wrote an architect <laughs> or wrote wrote an article in 1952, just like really drippingly satirical article, um, kind of the one of those things where you just talk about how great something is, but you're you're discrediting the narrator. Yeah. So anything they're saying, <laughs> like all these all this praise is actually you know um, veiled criticism or poorly veiled criticism. And he was the one who coined the term Googie to describe the architecture, naming it after that restaurant. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, it might as well just say every 10th word in parentheses, I roll. <laughs> right, exactly. Because he did the very cowardly thing, which is made a fictional character up mm -hmm. to explain what Googie, uh, this fictional character in this article was Professor Thrug mm -hmm. and was just, it was just dripping with cynicism. Um, you know, that he was he was talking about, or rather, excuse me, Thrug, the character, mm -hmm. uh, was talking about um, some of the, well, let me just read this bit. It was saying that um, Googie should look both organic and be abstract 
featuring abstract mushrooms or a geometric bird, or even better, an abstract mushroom surmounted by an abstract bird. <laughs> it's kind of hilarious. But one, <laughs> one thing he does say is he says that it, it's the, the roof of Googie starts off, or Googie's itself starts on the level like any other building, but suddenly it breaks for the sky. And he wasn't kidding. Like if you look up um, Googie's, uh, the 1949 Googie's coffee shop, mm-hmm. on one side of it, the, the entire building, not just the roof, but the entire building goes up at an angle. Like it's on a hinge and the whole that whole side of the building is is angled like it's gone up. It's nuts. It's the only way you can say it, and so he's he's critical of that. Um, but that really weird gravity defying roof and in fact gravity defying building that became like a trademark part of of Googie. And what's funny is is Lautner was considered serious enough that on the next page after Douglas Haskell's scathing criticism in in that 1952 article of House and Home is a profile of Lautner in his work because he's a serious architect and everybody knew it. Yeah, I mean, that's sort of the trick of this thing is I'm sure the tongue was in cheek and maybe Haskell was just trying to have a little bit of fun and I'm taking it too seriously. Right. Uh, well, it was an obnoxious thing to do for it sure. Was, it was pretty obnoxious. But the takeaway is that they wrote about it and um, they could have continued to ignore it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they even said that um, though House and Homes editors would prefer to not go nearly so far uh, as Lautner does, they believe that serious designer Lautner should no longer be officially ignored. So, <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll recognize you by making fun of it. It's like House and Home were like the head of a high school clique or something. Right. <laughs> exactly. So Lautner is uh, very much associated with Googie, but he was not the only one. And what's what's also ma- what also makes Googie so populist is that it was decentralized. There were a bunch of different people working in so- Southern California trying to do the same aim, which was get as many eyeballs onto their customer's building mm-hmm. to bring that many more people into the customer's business. Because again, it's a commercial architecture movement and it was totally decentralized and anybody could push whatever envelope they wanted to. Anything really went. Yeah, the Googie, almost said Googie Hauser. The Googie, <laughs> the Googie House movement was much more limited. Uh, it just, it didn't, you know, it's kind of cool, but it doesn't fit houses as much as it fits like a bowling alley. Yeah, or even like a a, a, um, a dry cleaner, like anything. You could just be like, give me one of those buildings. Yeah. Uh, so there was an architectural firm uh, that was hugely responsible for building a lot of these buildings or designing a lot of them. Uh, and it was Armet and Davis, uh, opened in 1947 by Eldon Davis and, uh, I guess, Lewis Armet. And they basically saw a big opportunity in the commercial sector. Uh, I think they were industrial designers initially. And they, they started getting hired to build these buildings. And kind of one of the really cool parts of their story is uh, they hired a junior draftsperson named Helen uh, Lu Fong. And this was someone who graduated with a degree in city planning from Berkeley in 1949, but could only get work as a secretary because she was an Asian woman. Mm-hmm. And uh, Armet and Davis gave uh, Helen Fong a chance um, as a junior draftsperson, and she ended up being kind of one of the sort of central uh, influencers, and I use that in the old school use of the term, right. um, of that movement. 
Yeah, I thought that was really cool that they did that too. Um, so one of the first things they unleashed on was the clock restaurant in Westchester, which is there's not that many images of it. Um, but if, yeah, if you can if you can find it, it's pretty cool. Like I saw an original sketch that I guess Helen Fong must have done, um, and it's just all sorts of angles and one triangle jutting out of another triangle and it's it's just a really neat building like i can only imagine being like a junior architect and and them saying like go go nuts like do whatever you want and they're yeah. gonna love it um so she she that was her first one her next one and the most famous one was pan's coffee shop on uh la Tahera. am i saying that right la Tierra. La Tierra. Oh, I got all fancy. Um, <laughs> in in L.A., obviously. Yeah, and uh, that's probably not the technical way to pronounce it, but that's how everyone says it. I think. No, it's. I mean, I get it. I'm a. Yeah. I'm a prescript. No, a descriptionist. <laughs> uh, it was built in 1958. Uh, had it has again one of those dramatically angled roofs. Uh, uses a lot of neon, and flagstone was a big deal with uh, coffee shops or a lot of flagstone walls at coffee mm-hmm. shops back then big plate glass windows in a lot of these coffee shops uh, and they described it as a place where george jetson and fred flintstone could meet over a cup of coffee yeah because you're using flagstone amidst like formica and like boomerang and, yeah. and space imagery that was a quote from a guy named alan hess who's an architecture historian who literally wrote the book not once but twice on Googie and actually kicked off a Googie preservation movement in the late 80s, actually, as we'll see. Hooray for Hess, right? That's right. Up with Hess. Uh, they, and we, you know, we talked a lot about coffee shops. It was actually kind of also called Coffee Shop Modern mm-hmm. um, because there were so many of them. Armet and Davis and Fong <laughs> built, or I'm sorry, designed more than 4,000 of these coffee shops. Right. That's crazy. That's like all the coffee shops. What's funny is if you um, there was a, a an obit of Davis. I can't remember when he died, but he he uh, he died a very old man, um, and he had said that he didn't really see much of a reason to preserve these these buildings, which I think is a little uh, a little modest yeah. because people are saying like these are masterpieces. Like they, they, it's just that the architecture world didn't appreciate them, but. They're great buildings, and people are destroying them. And the reason why is because, as as Davis pointed out, these are commercial buildings. And I saw someone describe commercial buildings as probably the architecture that's under the most pressure to reinvent and mm-hmm. reshape itself to yeah. keep up with the times. Like, you can't be sentimental with your right. commercial building. If Googie is out, and it went out fairly quick, you got to scrap it and start over and, and update or else you're going to— People are going to think your bil- your business is behind and, and behind the times and out of touch. And you just can't let that happen or else you're going to lose out on business. So he was saying, like, there's, you know, it was they were commercial buildings. Like, what, what do you want? Of course, people are going to tear them down and replace them with something else. Yeah, I never really thought about that. That's interesting because unless you do something really revolutionary and you you have a, you know, Netflix show about your house, mm-hmm. um, you can go out in 2022 and say, I, I want to build a colonial and no one will be like, really? I mean, it may not be your particular style, but they still build colonial houses and craftsmen's and all kinds of houses from all sorts of eras. But I think a commercial building, that really makes a lot of sense. Like you can't go out and build a commercial building that looks 30 years old. Right. You might can go out and build something that looks like 50 years old if it's some kind of cool retro thing. Right. But you can't be anywhere in between and build something that looks dated, you know? 
No, you can't. It, it can be classic, but it can't be dated. I think yeah. that's the fatal flaw is dated. Totally. And, and uh, Googie dated itself very quickly, as we'll see. That's right. And then there was Norms, too. We yeah. got to mention Norms. That was another uh, Helen Fong uh, classic, too, which is just like a, a great example of Googie architecture. I think Norms is still there, too. Yes. I believe it was also um, designated a, a historic and cultural monument by the L.A. City Council because it was going to go under the wrecking ball. And they stepped in and said, nope, you're not going to tear down this norm. So it is still there, and it is an awesome building. It's great. It's on La Cienega right there in Hollywood, uh, like a lot of these buildings are. Uh, the Holiday Bowl, this was a, a really special story. Uh, there's a bowling alley on Crenshaw Boulevard uh, in Crenshaw in Los Angeles, and uh, Fong designed the interior, and there was a bar in there called Sabika. I'm oh, sorry, man, Sakiba. I'll, I'll bet it was so awesome. I bet it was hopping, man. Um, the cool thing about this area at the time was it, it was one of the only integrated parts of Los Angeles. Uh, the local high school literally had one-third African-American, one-third Asian-American, and one-third white kids. Really? Yeah, and that was what made uh, the Holiday Bowl so special is you had – these different cultures and groups of people getting together where they didn't do so in most parts of Los Angeles at the time. Uh, And they had that not only were they bowling, but there was a a coffee shop on the premises. And when we we keep saying coffee shop, these were coffee shop, like the Pulp Fiction. They were, they were like diners basically. Yeah. I saw that they were a step up from diners, but not, you know, as, as nice as like a regular restaurant. Yeah. Exactly. That's what I saw him describe. describe yeah, that's this. that's a good way to put it. Uh, but at the uh, Holiday Bowl Diner, I'm sorry, the Holiday Bowl Coffee Shop, mm-hmm. uh, they had all kinds of food. They had udon. They had grits and southern uh, like soul food. They had straight up burgers and fries. I read an article where people were saying like this was, you know, the first time they ever had sushi in their life, and this was in the 1950s and early oh, 60s, wow. yeah. which was crazy. Um, or I don't know if they had sushi that early, but at least at some point they did. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a 24-7 place where people could go, hang out. They could drink at the bowling alley, go to this coffee shop after. Uh, and it was um, actually protected during the L.A. riots in 92. Like residents of Crenshaw lined up outside of the Holiday Bowl. Oh, yeah. So people wouldn't touch it. So um, I saw that it was demolished, but I also saw a picture from three years after it was supposedly demolished. And it was still there. But the coffee shop is now a Starbucks, and the bowling alley is now a Walgreens, it looks like. Yeah, so what they did was they did destroy the actual bowling alley part mm-hmm. and rebuilt it as a Walgreens. But that okay. exterior coffee shop facade is still attached, and it is a Starbucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's still googie. Yeah, it looks cool. So um, there were some other ones. We mentioned the the original or one of the earliest McDonald's from Downey, California, 1953. It's the oldest one still there, I think. Right. Low building, parabolas on either side. Yeah, and that McDonald's, uh, like you mentioned, is in Downey. And we talked about it in the uh, McDonald's Taco episode. Bell. Taco Bell one, too, I think. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. <laughs> I thought you were making a joke. <laughs> no, no, for real. The uh, taco episode, because we talked about Taco Bell, and like there were a bunch of ones from Downey, California. Oh, okay. Uh, but it's an amazing-looking restaurant, and it's got a uh, it's got a really cool little museum, McDonald's Museum next door. So you can still walk up. It's a it's just a sort of counter, not counter, I guess it is counter service, but you can't go in, you know? Mm-hmm. What, what do you call those? A walkthrough? Takeout? A walk-up, takeout? <laughs> sure, any of those. I think someone said they built a, a finally built a drive-through, but uh, I don't think you can dine in still. 
Boy, I guess they they were the first McDonald's to have a drive through then. No, I think more recently built a drive through <laughs> No, I'm just teasing. Okay. <laughs> One of the other things you mentioned, the Holiday Bowl and bowling alleys were just like begging to be made into googie structures. And another good example is the Covina Bowl in Covina, California, which I guess is around Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And um, it is. it still remains. It's still there. It's up for grabs exactly what's going to happen to it. Um, but it, they're, they're in talks to somehow preserve some of the f- facade or structure or sign or something as they redevelop it, I think, into condos. But it was divine, designed by a firm that um, created uh, 50 bowling alleys throughout California in the seven years between 1955 and 62. And, I mean, I think actually this is what gave me the idea for this episode, Chuck, because I was looking at old bowling alleys. Oh, um, in the bowling episode? Yeah, and I came across the term Googie um, because I was like, this is just such a cool-looking bowling alley. And sure enough, it was Googie, and it just led to one thing led to another, and here we are. (laughs) Well, that uh, Hollywood Star Lanes where the Big Lebowski was shot was very Googie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was just, I meant to mention during the Lautner segment, uh, I saw that they, just a few years ago, one of the Lautner homes was up for sale, which is a rarity in and of itself, but it was, and I say only two and a half million bucks. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of money for a house to be sure. But I just thought with LA Southern California real estate anyway, and it's this historic building and an historic architect and it's amazing i thought it would be like 12 million bucks yeah you definitely think that so yeah it was so a i steal was very then. surprised i mean it seemed like a steal i didn't have i didn't have the cash on me but <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it looked pretty amazing and we should mention the ship's coffee shops as well right those the little tiny three coffee shop chain yeah um they were uh kind of boomerang shaped from what i could tell i couldn't see like a really good picture of those guys but i thought what was kind of cute is apparently every every um location had a toaster on every table best idea of all time except for the liability probably the liability but also like every once in a while there's a crank that would come in and be like well i want a discount since i have to toast it myself <laughs> Man. and because i can think of that that means uh-huh. that there's a possibility <laughs> i might have been that guy i just i want to make my own toast in restaurants more than anything <laughs> <laughs> it does seem like a good idea for sure it's a very specific thing how people like their toast made. So I, I love that idea, but uh, hats off to ships for that. Uh, one other one, too, that's kind of an icon of Googie. Uh, you mentioned before that Gulf 76 station. Mm, amazing. Um, that's in Beverly Hills. Uh, and it apparently, the the design of it, not the Gulf station itself, but the design of this roof, it's um, been likened to a flying carpet. Uh, and it really kind of looks like one. It's got some of the most amazing curves I've ever seen that just don't make any sense whatsoever uh, for a roof, but it really looks cool. Um, and once you understand that it was supposed to be part of the the LAX airport, yeah, then you're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. But apparently it got cut out of the design, but the designer, Jin Wong, was like, this is too cool to just not do. Let's just turn it into a gas station instead. I've gotten gas there every, I mean, I wasn't in Beverly Hills much, but... Mm-hmm. I, I tried to get gas there when I could. It's at Crescent Drive mm-hmm. and Little Santa Monica Boulevard in Beverly Hills, and it is a very, very cool gas station. Mm-hmm. Okay. I shot at one of these out in uh, the desert, which I guess leads Were us to a Were you arrested? 
No, 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 no. We we shot a TV commercial at one oh, of these I got you. roadside gas stations, like a Route 66 type of deal, mm-hmm. uh, out in the middle of nowhere. That looking back was super googie, um, and that leads us to a break because we're going to come back and talk about the desert and Las Vegas. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I never thought I'd take my three young kids to Sicily to solve a century-old mystery, but that's what I'm doing in my new podcast, The Sicilian Inheritance. Join us as we travel thousands of miles on the beautiful and crazy island of Sicily, as I trace my roots back through a mystery for the ages and untangle clues within my family's origin story, which has morphed like a game of telephone through the generations. Was our family matriarch killed in a land deal gone wrong? Or was it by the Sicilian Mafia? A lover's quarrel? Or was she, as my father believed, a witch? Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from The Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. 
My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, Chuck, you set us up maybe better than we've ever been set up before. (laughs) (laughs) And if you've been sitting here listening to us describe Googie architecture or even going and looking at some of the photos, you might be like, man, this seems really Vegas to me. You would be right about that because it got exported to Vegas pretty quick and took off like a rocket there, starting with the Sands uh, in 1952. It was the first Googie-esque structure there because before that it was all like bolero ties and wagon wheels i know and then yeah and then the sands came along and said you hicks we're going to start something new we're the mafia we're the trend setting (laughs) mafia of all time we're going to take you into the space age uh (laughs) and that sands was uh i think you said built in 52 and that brings back uh mr wayne McAllister into the picture who designed that bob's big boy and Burbank, just a few years before that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, just look up any s- image of the old Sands casino sign, and it had that egg carton grid. It was really tall. It was, like, oh, close to 60 feet in the air. Mm-hmm. Uh, very geometric shapes. And the script was super googie as well. And I think Vegas took notice and said, you know, I don't know who those mob guys are talking to, but uh, they're on to something here. And googie started popping up everywhere. Uh, including probably most famously in that iconic welcome to fabulous Las Vegas sign. Yeah, that is super googie. I mean, like if you if you're ever talking to somebody about a googie design and they ask you what you're talking about, just say the like the design of the Las welcome to Las Vegas sign. That's it's 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 it hits basically every chord on that. Like big exaggerated fonts, different kinds of fonts. There's starbursts. There's geometric shapes. There's a whole bunch of different colors. It's it's googie in its deepest soul. It is. It's a great sign. Um, while I was looking all this stuff up, I was in my head. I was like, wait, I feel like there were old Howard Johnson's motels that were kind of googie. Yeah, I think you might be right. And I looked and I looked and I couldn't find any. And then finally I did. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, a handful of those hojos from that era had these big, swoopy, pointy, triangular Roofs that went all the way down to the ground, kind of like an A-frame, mm-hmm. and, and jutted way out over the roadway. And uh, I knew I'd seen those in my past, but I don't, I don't think it was a lot of them. But it, it just kind of goes to show where how Googie spread um, beyond California and Las Vegas. Right. And we're going to talk about a few more of those places. Yeah, I mean, there's different... It just pops up in some random places. Like, apparently, the northwest side of Chicago was developed later than the rest of it. And it just so happened that Googie was having its heyday. So there's, like, some random Googie structures, trim and tidy cleaners, uh, Superdog, Pride Cleaners uh, is really cool looking. Um, I think it's. I think that's the one that it looks like a. It's a giant triangle with the point sticking out streetward. If I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. um, it's it's really neat to see. Uh, and then the Ohio House Motel uh, is what's called. It's like a subset of Googie architecture called phony colony, like <laughs> faux colonial. 
Isn't that awesome? I love that term. Yeah. Yeah, funny colony. <laughs> uh, it's going to be my latest, my newest insult. Okay. Um, the Wildwoods Resort area of New Jersey has a quite a few googie kind of motels. They would mm-hmm. say, uh, they would call it doo-wop uh, style because that's sort of the 1950s rock and roll scene there and the Jersey Shore at the time. But if you look up uh, what the the Mori family, M-O-R-E-Y, designed a number of those motels kind of near the Jersey Shore seaside. Right. Uh, and they're really cool looking. They're they're not quite as out there and spaceshipy, but they're definitely googie. Uh, and then there's a, a newer one. I think, you know, now people are building the occasional kind of modern googie throwback look. And the Starlux Hotel there is one pretty great example of that. Yeah, I found a really great website called Modernist Architecture, and they have a post from 2015 called Wildwood, the East Coast capital of Googie, uh, mm-hmm. I mean doo-wop. And it is a comprehensive photo spread of all these Googie structures in Wildwood on the Jersey Shore. And it just looks like an amazing place to wander around. But it's Googie through and through. I saw that, I think in that blog, they said that it's probably the densest concentration of googie architecture left in the country yeah and it kind of fits the seaside sort of feel Mm -hmm. i think with the pastels and Mm -hmm. it just sort of all works together i think yeah um there's also some in phoenix and tucson probably most famous in phoenix is what used to be called the 300 bowl a bowling alley again and i read that no one is exactly sure who designed it um, what firm or what architect designed the 300 bowl, but is a classic example of, of googie architecture. Um, there's also Paris laundry and dry cleaning and the rainbow car wash there. It's pretty cool stuff. These episodes are fun because there's, I know there's people all over the country that love their little buildings <laughs> to get shouted out in their towns. <laughs> totally. Uh, the Biff Burger drive-in chain in Clearwater. Uh, this was right in Woo! that sort of middle of that era in 1956. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of Googie-inspired stuff there. And then there's a, a shopping center, the Southgate Shopping Center in Lakeland, Florida, mm-hmm. also mid uh, to late 50s. Another great example. Yeah, you got to look up the Biff Burger, um, like look up Biff Burger 1956. And one of the big Googie things they have is like their sign is like different like different geometric structures, like separate from one another. And each one like holds a letter or a little message or something. They're all really brightly colored. It's just really cool and neat looking. And we mentioned that great. Yeah, those are great signs. I'm looking at them now. Mm-hmm. Uh, that great bank in, <laughs> in the middle of nowhere, Georgia and Alma, mm-hmm. Georgia, the Alma Exchange Bank, uh, 1966. You really need to look this one up and imagine this in um, sort of rural southeastern Georgia between Atlanta and Jacksonville. It is really something else. Uh, And there's a cool place right here, a newer place um, in Centennial Olympic Park in Atlanta uh, called Googie Burger. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, opened about 12 years ago in 2010. And it's a really cool, modern take on a Googie style. And it's, it's awesome. I didn't even know it was there. And then also, Chuck, one of the other things, you know, we've been talking about things like dry cleaners and car washes and bowling alleys. Like, it it appeared in some, like, legit big structures, like the uh, theme building, the iconic building at LAX Mm. that looks like a a War of the Worlds UFO, basically, on stilts. (laughs) Um, That is about as googie as it gets um, when it's not like a dry cleaners. That's a super googie building. Yeah, that one... um People probably, you might have heard it called The Encounter, 
because it had a restaurant and bar called The Encounter in it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it is called The Theme Building. And it was there when I was there and open. And, you know, it was kind of a fun thing to go and, like, grab a cocktail before you uh, pick someone up on an airport run and just kind of, like, drink in that vibe uh, for a half hour or so. Uh, And then it closed in 2013 because there was always just a – it was right there by the airport. So – Usually it was airport people, mm-hmm. but like you wouldn't go early enough if you were like flying somewhere just to go to a restaurant outside the airport because right. it's not, you know, you can't check in and then go back out to the encounter. Right. And then going afterward, like maybe I think once I might have picked someone up that had just come into town mm-hmm. who had never been to L.A. And it's like, hey, the first thing we'll do is go to the encounter. But it, it was it was just sort of had a problem of no one quite knew when to go. <laughs> right. Uh, because it was so tied to the airport, you didn't want to go there if you had nothing to do at the airport because you didn't want to be in the airport traffic, which is notoriously bad in L.A. So right. it eventually kind of closed down because of this problem in 2013. It's pretty sad. Yeah, it is a little sad, but I, it is super. It was a very inconvenient place for sure. Uh, what about um, Tomorrowland that I mentioned seeing I as mean, a kid? I, Tomorrowland, everybody, I don't want to say everybody, but almost everybody's been to either Tomorrowland at Disney World or Disneyland. And it's just like this retro future googie architecture. It was at first. And I didn't know this, but apparently it was originally meant to mimic what it, what they thought it was going to look like in 1986. <laughs> yeah, isn't that funny? What the people of 1955 thought 86 would look like. Yeah, and, I, you know, I took... Uh, I mentioned not too long ago, I took my first visit to Disney World since I was a kid recently, and um, I was shocked how little things had changed all throughout the park Mm -hmm. until I sort of stopped to think about it, because Disney people, like, they don't want anything different Mm -hmm. um, about that particular park. They're fine with, like, adding new things, but, like, you don't go in and change Tomorrowland. And get right. rid of those cruddy race cars in favor of something better. You right. just leave or the people mover. You leave it alone. Yeah. And that's the, I, I agree with that. I think that they should until it falls apart. Until the people mover like falls off of the, the cable and kills a bunch of people. Well, I think because Disney largely deals in the business of nostalgia. Definitely. That's why John Hodgman hates that place. <laughs> uh, what else do we one? have? The TWA Flight Center at JFK. Uh, Aero Saarinen uh, designed it and it's amazing. So we don't need to say anything else about it, but it was built in 1962. Just go to the Curbed New York website and search for Explore the TWA Terminal. Um, and it will, it's just this amazing photo spread from years back from a photographer named Max Tui, who was granted access to this abandoned but totally preserved 1962 um, gooey, like, like terminal for TWA. It's the most amazing thing you'll ever see. Googie? It is a googie. Yeah, you said a gooey. Go- Did I? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the floor is made of molasses. <laughs> Well, that uh, that isn't that the same spot that they have now opened the new TWA hotel? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Because Which again, I it, go to. it was like perfectly preserved. I don't know how they did it, but I think somebody was like, this thing, we can't do anything with this. It's just too amazing. We can't not mention the Space Needle in Seattle. Yeah. Uh, probably their most favorite. I don't, I don't know what Seattle people think of it. I don't know if they're tired of it or what. <laughs> but it is their, you know, kind of one of their iconic buildings. Just ask Fraser Crane. Uh, it's right there in the skyline and those opening credits. Mm-hmm. 
but it was built in 1961 for their World Fair. Uh, and a Seattle hotel executive named Edward E. Carlson gave it its iconic name. And its chief engineer was a gentleman named John Manassian, who uh, actually worked for NASA and designed uh, rocket gantries. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool. So, yeah, it definitely legitimizes the Space Needle for sure. So what happened to Googie? Well, like we said, it dated itself. And Googie came along technically in 1949, but really it started to take off in the mid-50s, say. Um, and it was based on, like like you're saying, techno-optimism of the post-World War II economic boom um, and us getting to space and just trying new technology. And we actually did all that stuff. Like those promises of the future actually came true pretty quick. Like we ended up on the moon in 1969. And once we got there, humanity was like, yeah, we've been there. We've done that. <laughs> and like funny? that whole, that techno optimism, like kind of faded pretty quickly because it became everyday and commonplace. And since Googie was the architecture associated with that, that future that now had become everyday and commonplace, it got dated. I think that's kind of sad, but also hysterical. Yeah. <laughs> that like when people walked on the moon, like that next week, the, the dry cleaner sat down with a designer to build their new dry cleaner. <laughs> it was like, they were like, well, what do you want to do? Just build me a dry cleaning. <laughs> yeah. He, no, he was like, I'm ruined. <laughs> We've been to the moon. Who cares? I just want to clean clothes. I saw one of the things that really signaled the death knell, uh, maybe not earliest, but pretty early on, was that McDonald's radically changed its design from parabolas mm-hmm. and upswept, you know, angular roofs to um, houses, like a brick house with a mansard roof. Um, that that really iconic yeah. 70s and 80s McDonald look. Um, they look like came, Pizza Huts. That the whole restaurant style was all the same. Yeah, yeah. It was very close. Although I looked it up, Pizza Hut's uh, roof is a different kind. It's not a mansard roof. I can't remember no. what it's called. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it yes, it is very similar. And it was meant to evoke home, which is totally different from like a, uh, you know, a coffee yeah. shop that starts taking up toward the taking off up toward the sky like this it was a different feel and a different vibe and it also tied into the ecology uh movement right yeah i mean i think you know uh one might argue that some of this googie stuff is uh, can be wasteful in terms of uh materials mm. um to build a roof that extends you know 60 feet to a point to the sky when you just need a regular roof really so i think tastes sort of were tamed down a little bit um using more uh, sort of sensible materials, I think, played a part. Uh, going to outer space played a part. All this stuff. And like, you know, sort of any thing that doesn't end up being a, a classic design, it's going to come and go, uh, especially one that's kind of radical like this. So, it you know, it was bound to have its moment and then leave and then be looked back upon with fond eyes years later. Uh, and that's what's happened largely, uh, sadly, Uh, During, you know, of course, the 80s, a lot of these buildings in L.A. and the Southland were demolished. Um, But toward the end of the 80s, um, certainly with uh, the publication of the 86 book from Hess, uh, Googie, colon, 50s coffee shop architecture, that sort of helped um, reignite like an appreciation for these buildings and this architecture. And more and more were protected that had not been demolished. Yeah. And they're still being demolished. I I saw that something like a third of them are gone now already, which is really high, um, as far as demolition goes for a specific kind of architecture, but they are getting protected more and more, which I think is good. 
Totally. I saw one other thing that led to the demise of Googie. Um, so Googie Design was meant to attract the eyes of Southern California drivers as they were passing by so that they would turn in and be like, yeah, I could go for a cup of coffee and a piece of pie, right? Or mm-hmm. I could get my shirt dry cleaned right now. <laughs> Who knows? So that's what it was designed for. But then in 1955, the uh, Highway Act started building highways rather than yeah. surface streets. So people weren't on those surface streets anymore, and they were going way faster. And they were going faster than Googie Architecture could catch their attention, and that that was a big part of it, too. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, as evidence in our Route 66 podcast. And to bring it for full circle, that uh, abandoned Googie gas station on Route 66 that we shot at. No one oh, was stopping uh, there for gas. It was closed. Yeah, that's true. That's what happens. The highway killed it. We killed it. Uh, you got anything else? No, I got nothing. Uh, if you want to know more about Googie architecture, just go spend some time looking up Googie buildings. It's a lot of fun. They're just so colorful. Uh, and since I said they're colorful, it's time for listener mail. Uh, I'm going to call this what will it be the first of two Appalachian Trail emails. And by the way, I'm doing the Georgia portion next spring. Oh, nice, man. I'm doing it. Me and uh, my friend Eddie and my friend Clay mm-hmm. have all dedicated to do it. And so this is uh, not only a personal uh, life goal that I never accomplished, but a personal fitness goal because I can't go out there right now and do that in the shape I'm in. And so it, it, I, losing weight, it's never worked like, oh, I got that wedding this fall. I need to look good for right, Like yeah. That stuff never worked for me, but I can't do this like and be successful without getting in shape. Like, I will die on the side of a mountain. <laughs> right. So. You really need to read Into the Woods because one of the characters is exactly in that same position. All right, so it's a health goal and just a life goal, and we're going to do it next great. March. So wait a minute, start... wait a minute. You're going with Eddie as in Eddie the Forest Strangler, Eddie, Eddie? <laughs> I don't that's... know if that's such a good idea, Chuck. Uh, we're going to start in uh, North Carolina at the border and go Sobo to Springer. Mm-hmm. And uh, act like we h- hiked the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> when we get at the end. Nice work. So it's pretty cool. Uh, anyway, I've been getting a lot of great emails and true stuff you should know fashion. Uh, unplanned, but very serendipitously, that episode was released on Naked Hike Day. Yeah. Uh, we didn't know that was going to happen. Nope. Uh, but sometimes it works out that way. Yeah. Uh, so this is from, uh, this is a really cool one from a man named uh, Arthur Sparrow. Uh, oh, she had to put in a pronunciation guide. Uh, Uresic is what I'm going to say. Okay. Or Uresic. Uh, hey guys, long time listener, and I'm elated about this AT episode because it changed my life. Uh, it was the best crazy thing I ever decided to do when I through hiked it. I spent about a decade battling opioid addiction previous to my through hike in 2016, uh, and when I left, I knew I needed to change many aspects of my life. Uh, I'm a college grad from a good family, had a good job but I was just self-destructing and the AT changed all that. The community and the trail were everything I needed. It helped me save my life from a downward spiral when it supplied hope for me when I needed it most. Uh, Simultaneously, it showed me how much we are truly capable of when we support one another on our journey. Uh, Six months and three years later, still opioid free. uh, I started my own business after doing my hike, doing work that I believe in, and now I'm living and loving my journey on and off the trail. Nice. I hope there are a few people like myself that heard your episode and like me decide to do something crazy and change their lives for the better. It will be the best crazy thing that you ever did too. I can assure them of that. All the best gentlemen 
Uh, keep up the great work. And uh, I got permission from Arthur to read this. Uh, he's the owner and operator of Green Team Junk. And uh, way to go, Arthur. That's amazing. I'm so glad that you got it together. And I'm glad the AT was a part of that experience. It's really great. Yeah, congratulations, Arthur. That's amazing. And thank you for the email. I wonder if Green Team is a reference to that Will Ferrell and Michael Riley and um, Adam McKay, like, short. What was that? It was called Green Team. I don't... Why does that ring a bell? Because you've seen it. It was it, it made the rounds. It was viral, like, many years ago. Just look up Green Team. It's crazy. And I think uh, he's... I think I said he was in the Sacramento area. Okay. And it looks like it's recycling and reusing uh, and hauling away stuff for people. Nice. Well, yeah, that's like, what I gathered. Like green junk removal. Right. That's what I figured. I mean, yeah, the guy not... hiked the AT for Pete's sake. <laughs> yeah, it's not brown tea and junk. <laughs> right. Well, thanks again, Arthur. Fantastic. Uh, congratulations, and thanks for writing in. And if you want to be like Arthur and share your personal successes with us, we want to hear them. You can send us an email to stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast host Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. Binge the season of The Passage now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.